welcome to the Museum Podcast, uh, episode three. Today we're talking with Daniel Milner. He's a documentary photographer that's currently working on a personal project in New Mexico. Uh, he also hosts a few workshops a year and works for Blurb. His blog, Smog Ranch, uh, is extremely popular and is one of my personal favorites. Uh, I believe that Daniel is one of the more refreshing voices in the photo industry today. And today we got to talk about uh, his creative process, his love of physical objects versus digital, and the important role personal work plays in discovering yourself as a photographer. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us and kind of talking about the industry and stuff like that. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thanks for having me. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to talk about first is just talk about, I guess, your journey as an overview of kind of how you fell in love with photography, kind of started simple, and then you kind of got into acquiring kind of more gear and some of the culture of the industry, and then now you're kind of back to kind of where you started mm -hmm. in a way, um, and kind of how your work is maybe changed through kind of that process, I guess, is the overview of that. Well, I got interested. I wasn't initially interested in photography. I was simply interested in um, recording things. From the time I was a little kid, I, I would keep little notebooks and would just write everything down. I would make up conversations and write those down. I wrote short stories. I wrote long stories. And before I was a photographer, I was a journalism student. So I started as a writer, which um, didn't last long. I got Actually, I got sent to a, a bomb threat and it was a building on a college campus and, you know, I was expendable. So they sent me to the bomb threat and there was no, they couldn't send a photographer. So they asked me if I would make a few pictures along the way. And I did it and those pictures got published and I kind of took a right, immediate right turn and got into photography. Um, in terms of the equipment, my dad's best friend, who was an FBI agent, went to school with uh, a guy named Dennis Brack. And Dennis is a longtime Time Magazine photographer in Washington, D.C., who's an unbelievably gracious guy. And um, my dad's friend hooked me up with Dennis, and Dennis said, why don't you come to D.C. for a week and spend a week with me and see what it's like to be a photographer. So I went to D.C., and Dennis was Dennis got me into the White House. Dennis took me to the Naval Academy graduation. He loaned me equipment, and it was really like a sneak peek into what cut through all the BS, what it meant to be a photographer. and. Dennis was doing the kind of work that I wanted, which was, you know, kind of in the moment, in the news, action type photography. And that's what initially sort of gave me the, the bump. Um, the same friend of my father's, uh, who was the FBI agent, was also friends with a guy who at one point in time worked at the Dallas Times Herald, happened to be during the time when Kennedy was assassinated. Um, he'd been a photographer for a long time, but had retired and he had a bag of old Nikon equipment that he loaned me. And the thing that I remember about it was him sort of grabbing my shirt when he loaned me this equipment. And he said, he just said one thing. He said, don't stand in the North 40 and shoot something in the South 40. And basically what he was saying was move, get yourself close to what you're, to what you're working on. And that's what, that's what got the ball rolling. I, I got that equipment. I didn't know how to use it. Um, but I immediately started applying at a couple small newspapers around where I lived and I got work immediately. Literally, I was hired because there was no one else there to do the work. It wasn't like I had a portfolio to show or I, I knew what I was doing. And once I did it for a couple of weeks, I knew that was what my life was going to be about. I, I, I is, uh, I've kind of come full circle in a way where I'm back to shooting the way that I was back then and also kind of looking at photography in a very different way. I've had blinders on for the last 15 years, and I didn't realize that until I stepped away from working as a photographer and realized just how small my world had become. And now I'm starting to back up and try to make it expand it. I'm trying to remember, like, when I first kind of found your blog and all that stuff, I feel like one of the first posts you had was kind of regarding kind of the wedding photography, and you were kind of going back to film and being simple with how you shot, uh, kind of implying that you kind of fell for some of the industry mm -hmm. stuff. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, was, was there any change in your work? Like, like what years was that? Was that, like, kind of middle, like, 2005? 
middle of 2000s and then has it changed between now and then or not? Uh, well, I have an, I have one more wedding to shoot in October and then I won't be working. I won't be doing any more weddings. Um, I also won't be doing any more portraits. So I've completely eliminated any commercial photography from, from my life. Um, but I started shooting weddings in 1999 and this was before the big bubble in the wedding industry. And in 1999, it was still considered very uncool to be a wedding photographer. Like it, when I told my friends that I was going to quit my job at Kodak and go back into photography, but be a wedding photographer, I was just like castigated. I mean, I was called every name in the book. My friends were like, what are you thinking? Like it, wedding photography was the bottom rung on the ladder. Wedding photography has always been sort of unfairly labeled as what you did if you couldn't do anything else in photography. I, I don't believe that at all. My wife's parents got married in the 50s in Boston and their photographer shot 3D glass plates, you know, and it's one of the most amazing bodies of work I've seen. And not only that, but he was shooting with a with I think with a Hasselblad and he was like capturing moments, like real moments, a single frame. I think the whole entire day the guy shot like 80 pictures total. So I don't I think that's very unfair to label weddings in that way but when I started I came to it indirectly I was urged by another photographer who was a very successful wedding photographer who had seen my documentary work and said you know you should think about doing weddings and I was like what like I've been told that like you know I that's something I shouldn't do and so she encouraged me and I did and I started shooting weddings and I literally would take a single like a rangefinder and a 35 millimeter lens and a and a bag of Tri-X, and I wouldn't even bring a strobe, and I would shoot the entire wedding. And I kept thinking, there's no way that anyone really wants this work. And suddenly, I had an audience and a market for it. And over the subsequent probably five years, the wedding photography exploded. And um, many things changed. First and foremost, the professional photography market in general started to decline. So you had photographers from the automobile industry, editorial, fashion, sports, advertising, commercial, that were all suddenly having a difficult time making it. And the default position was, the word on the street was, wow, there's a lot of money to be made in weddings. So you had those photographers coming in, but then you also had the secondary set of young, what I'll call digital, digital savvy, marketing, advertising kind of guru type people who saw an opportunity and exploited it to the to the 10th degree which they you know they'll never get credit for but all of those people who did that who led that first wave of sort of the wedding explosion they're still in many ways pioneering a lot of things in the photography world but because they're associated with the wedding world i don't think they'll ever get credit i was not really part of that crowd and it's simply because i came from a very different background i came from the documentary world and I really wasn't, you know, I had a different philosophy about photography and what I was doing. And I kind of, you know, got pulled astray in some ways for a couple of years. When digital first came out, I went fully digital for three years. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And then I came home one day and I didn't even want to look at my own work. I was just so sick of sitting in front of the computer trying to make digital files look like what I had in my Leica. And I, I was just, I kind of, you know, looked at my wife and said, I, I got to make some changes. And I, the first thing that popped into my head was I want to dig out my Leica again and go shoot that. And once I did, I did one shoot. I said, that, that's it. That's the key ingredient for me right now is to leave this, the digital behind and go back to film. And the funny thing is when I went digital the first time, my friends and colleagues were like, you're crazy. Digital's never going to work. And it won't, especially it won't work for weddings. I literally had conversations in LA with photographers that said, you can't do that. It's never going to work. Three years later, when I went back to film, they were all going to digital and they were telling me the exact same thing about film. They're like, you can't do it. Film's dead. You're never going to, you're going to go out of business. Uh, no one's going to hire you. And we all know the absurdity of both of those directions. There is no right and wrong. I, I wish people would, would kind of, you know, let that lay where it uh where it died a long time ago you can do whatever you want to do in whatever way you want and now when i do weddings now it's all film but it's everyone is different i might shoot six by nine six by six six by seven thirty five i've shot four by five i've shot four by five polaroids at weddings i've shot holga i've shot lomo Whatever. The one coming up is going to be really interesting because I'll probably shoot two or three different formats and I'll have two other photographers with me 
and they'll be shooting different things still. So we should have a very eclectic mix of imagery at the end. Since we're kind of on the wedding thing for now, what? Um, and then if you look at the industry now as a whole, even a couple of years, you know, I guess in the last five, six years, um, why do you think a lot of the work, wedding and portrait stuff, kind of has like a similar look to it? Well, I think that there was a mass homogenization that came along. I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, and it's almost entirely based on the, uh, the availability of the technology. So you don't need to be a photographer or have studied photography or have any kind of track record to become a wedding photographer. You basically build a website, buy some equipment, start telling people that's what you do, and you'll, you'll probably get work. Um, I think a lot of time because of that, you don't necessarily have to figure out who you are as a photographer or how you see. Um, I think some people don't even realize the difference in vision from person to person. So like if you and I went into a room and someone gave, gave us a camera one at a time and sent us outside the door of that room and said, go photograph the most interesting thing you see, there's a really good chance that we're going to come back with two very entirely different things because what obviously is beautiful to you might not be to me and vice versa. So wedding people, you've got an entire generation of photographer. I knew my doorbell would go off at least once. You have a whole, you have a, every time I do an interview, it goes off at least once. You have an entire generation of photographers who learned by going online and watching what the successful people were doing. They never necessarily sat down and said, okay, what do I want to do? Like, how do I see and how does that translate into my business? They go online, they look at who's successful, who's making money, and they go, I'm going to copy that exact thing. I'm going to buy the same equipment, the same software, the same filters, and I'm going to charge the same, and I'm going to basically do everything that I've seen them do. I've had this conversation with numerous photographers over the years. It's always surprising to me because I feel like they may be wildly successful, and many of them are, which is a great thing, but they've almost, if you've never taken that time to kind of explore who you are with the camera, I think you're kind of missing out in some ways. I think they could even be having more fun and probably would be even more successful if they took that time and said, you know, maybe I want to shoot a uh, pinhole or, you know, experimented with something. But um, typically when, when monetary success comes along, it eliminates a lot of the need to, to ever figure that out. You just, you know, people sort of equate the monetary success with being a great photographer. And, and in weddings and portraits, I don't necessarily equate those two. No, those are great points, and it leads – actually, I have another question to spin off that, which would be great, is um, kind of the idea, especially of sep having this separate thing of personal work and kind of your paid work. Because I've had – even just on Twitter, I've had conversations with people, very basic, of like I, a lot of wedding photographers, uh, for some reason, they don't they don't want to separate it mm -hmm. much. Like they consider like all their work is their personal work. Um so I guess just wanting to get your opinion on how important it is to actually have like 100% personal work and then like your work that you do that's commissioned and how that affects you as a photographer. You know, that's a great question. I, each person is different. For me, again, because of the background that I had and how I came to photography and how I studied it, the, the separation of those two is like church and state, man. I want them completely apart. I think for the younger generation – it's very easy to veil what you're doing under, oh, everything I shoot is, is personal work. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think it's commercial work. Um, and I think there's a huge difference between shooting commercial work and shooting personal work. But I think a lot of times, a lot of younger photographers, and I'm not bagging on younger photographers, they are wildly progressive in a lot of ways that I, would, I will never be. Uh, and I love sitting down and talking. In fact, I have a younger photographer coming over today who's probably in his early 20s, just graduated with a multimedia degree. He's like a different species. He comes over and I think he learned some things from me and I definitely learned from him. So I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on young photographers, but again, I think it goes back to exploring who you are with a camera and a lot, let's face it, a lot of photographers who are working, especially portrait wedding field, they may not have a whole lot to say when it comes to photography outside of what they're doing commercially. So for them, I've, I know a ton of people who have never in their life shot anything with a camera outside of a wedding or portrait. They just picked it up a few years ago. They started, and that's all they've done. So when the jobs are done, they don't think about picking up a camera and going out and working on a project. That's like a foreign concept. They're going to go to the beach. They're going to go out and do whatever. But for me, uh, I realized that there was a definite 
division in there. I try to bring the aesthetic that I use on my personal work to my work I do commercially. I'm always trying to educate the clients as to why I shoot the way I do and what I'm trying to do from them. You know, if you turn it around and let the clients dictate to you what you're doing, then typically you're going to get work that may not be as good as you could potentially create. So, um, but for me, there's a huge differentiation and, and it to the, for me, it got to the point where I realized I couldn't do commercial work anymore. I just had to focus on doing my own stuff because I'm not sure anymore you can actually do both. I have a, talked to a lot of photographers that say, you know, I, I, I work commercially to pay for my personal projects. Occasionally I see that happening well, but typically what I see happening today, especially because of the economy, is the, the quality of the personal work is not necessarily where it needs to be because it takes so much time and so much sort of focused critical thought to get work at that highest level that it's nearly impossible to do that when you're juggling, you know, 17 things and clients and, and all that. It's very difficult. You know, 20 years ago, doable. Now, not so much. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to talk to you about, because I don't know many photographers that have kind of are doing what you're doing in terms of um, stopping the, the commission thing. You know, uh, everybody seems to be still trying to start a business. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see if, if you've talked to other photographers where they're uh, kind of in the same route in terms of, like, they're trying to find income other ways to pay their bills, not letting photography be kind of almost back to, like, a hobby again to where it's just personal for them and it's just for the love of it. Um, the short answer is yes. Yeah. Um, I would never name, name names, but um, – and what I did, there's no mystery to it. I just got, you know, in September of last year, I said, this isn't working what I'm doing. It's not that commercial photography is bad or evil. You know, I just decided, okay, I've done this for 15 years. And I've always been a person that every three, four, five years, I completely change what I'm doing. So this was not a new thing for me. Um, the, what was new was saying, I'm going to stop shooting commercially and I'm only going to focus on my own work. I frankly had no idea what I was going to do for an income. So. I was very fortunate that I was approached by Blurb very shortly thereafter. And I'd been on Blurb's advisory board for several years, so it wasn't like a new relationship. But they had approached me and said, look, would you consider working for us part-time, which in fact I, I did and I am. So I had a safety net there. So I had perhaps um, you know the ability to do that, whereas some other people that are more connected that don't have that safety net might not have been able to, to stop commercial commercial work. But since I did that, I've been approached by a, more than a few photographers who have heard through the grapevine that I made that decision, some of them unknown and some photographers that I think would very much surprise you who said, I'm in crisis mode. I'm not necessarily in crisis mode because I can't pay my bills. I'm in crisis mode because I'm realizing that I'm not making anything that I have a connection to. You know, I've talked to photographers that said, my portfolio is filled with other people's work, you know, basically other people's ideas and work. And it's just not like doing it for me. So what happened to me in terms of how I viewed commercial photography, it's not unique. I think it's especially if you've been in photography for a long time, certain people are better than others at adapting to that. Um, I was not great at adapting to it because actually I had made this, this was the second time I had made this decision when I left Kodak I worked for Eastman Kodak for five years back in the mid to late 90s and when I worked for Kodak I had to sign a conflict of interest letter stating that I would no longer do assignment work because it would in effect put me in competition with the photographers that I was trying to help with Kodak and I said no problem and I signed it because I had no interest in doing magazine work anymore and I worked for Kodak for five years, and during the time I worked there, I was able to do documentary work on my own time. So at the end of five years, I looked at my portfolio, and I was like, holy cow. Like, I have five years of documentary work. That's the best work I've ever done. And it came from not working as a photographer. So every I sold all my equipment except for M. Leica's. And when I picked up a camera, I only worked on my own projects. I never had to deal with, like, shooting you know, and major league baseball players in Phoenix for, you know, magazines. And I, I didn't want to photograph them. They didn't want to be photographed. The ultimate images were not great. I never had any intention of using them, 
but yet I was being, I was considered a photographer. And I think that was really the baggage that I had to get rid of was I don't, for me, it's not important for me to be known as a photographer. Um, I love photography and more than anything. And most people associate with me with being a photographer. So even though today I'm not shooting commercially, I still consider myself a photographer because I'm, you know, out shooting, but technically maybe I'm not. And I just don't really have an issue with that. I just think the important thing is the kind of work that you're creating and is if, and if it fills that, that hole inside you in terms of what, what, what that work is supposed to provide. This sounds maybe like a simple question, but uh -oh. I don't know. Um, how would you def I mean, what is your definition of like a photographer? Boy, that's interesting. Um, well, I think there's a difference between a professional photographer and a photographer. Um, anyone who's out taking pictures is a photographer. But if you're going to consider yourself a professional, I think that that potentially comes with a little baggage or some criteria. You know, most people equate when you say I am a photographer or I'm a professional photographer is that you're making your living with the camera. Um, so, and that's why when, you know, people enter, if I was going to introduce myself, I would, even though I'm not making my living with the camera, I would still probably introduce myself as, uh, I, you know, I work as I work for blurb and I'm also a photographer because I do still undertake these long-term projects. And, you know, for me, it's, it's more than a hobby, but again, it's not my, my, uh, professional sort of income basis at the moment is, is doing photography, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you can really define that i guess anyone out with a camera making pictures is a photographer it's, i definitely think that's how people feel now even with their with their mobile phones you know i mean some of the most significant pictures in recent history have all been done with with mobile phones so i guess it's anybody out recording is a photographer yeah um, or if you have a vest with a vest with more than 12 pockets right i think that's a dead giveaway i think that's a Good criteria. We should include. <laughs> and I, I have, don't make it out, but I will. <laughs> I'm interested in kind of for you, um, why kind of documentary work and not the editorial, fashion, commercial, or just any other sort of genre of photography. Like, what is it about documentary that really kind of draws you in? For me, it goes all all back to recording information. It's just a you know, I get these ideas in my head about a story or a place or people, and I, I need to go and see it myself. And then when I'm out there, for, for me to get a better understanding of what's actually happening, I think it's easier for me to get my head around it if I've got some sort of visual, and now nowadays, audio recording of what it is that's happening. It's about memories, and it's about recording things for history. And I've actually been uh, accused of being like egotistical in that sense of saying, well, you know, when it comes to archiving my work, you know, oh, why are you so concerned about archiving? Because it's all about right now. And if you're concerned about archiving, it's because you're, you know, your ego's out of control. And maybe it is. But for me, it, from the minute I started taking pictures, one of the important things to me was was preservation of like, you know, I'm in New Mexico and I'm working on this project and I'm taking pictures of these people and these places and these people will never be the same again forever. And so 100 years from now or 50 years from now, if someone wants to look back on what was actually happening in these places, at least I've provided a little sense of, of history that's preserved. So that's why documentary. Editorial, when I first got into photography, was very much a priority. I wanted to work for Look and Life and you know, geo in these magazines. The problem was that they slowly started to deteriorate and the editorial market has gotten, you know, I guess you could say worse and worse from the time I got into photography until now. Um, the, the bad contracts began coming out, the unsustainable wages, the, you know, basically taking, getting photographers to sign contracts where the magazines would own the, own the content and be able to use them in any, any way without any kind of compensation. It just became a bad business deal to be to be working in, in the editorial world. And secondly, um, the kind of work that I was doing was never in demand. You know, black and white long term essays were not exactly what the magazines were were wanting. And I don't blame them. You know, they're trying to sell magazines are in business They're They want color and they want flashy celebrity laden stuff that sells. And, um, I totally understand. So I realized a long time ago that it was probably not in my best interest to pursue editorial work. 
there's a few outlets out there today that I think do really nice work, but they are very few and far between. And unfortunately, for young photographers, I just don't see that as being a sustainable way of staying in business. You know, I think a lot of photographers now view editorial as like a portfolio. They get published and they use it to try and get commercial and advertising work. And some people are successful with that. And I think there's a lot that are, are really struggling, unfortunately. One of the things I'm kind of interested in now, um, and I think in a general, maybe our culture is getting that way, but it's kind of having a transparent view of, of process. Um, you know, it could even be just like where our food comes from or just something simple like that. We want to see point A to point B beginning to end uh, and not just the final product all the time. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of your process you know, like, how do you pick a project? You know, how do you decide which one to commit to? And because um, I know you've on your blog, you have some stuff about you know your journal, those little books you carry around, and how you yeah. journal and write things, and just kind of how you just what's kind of going on in your head through through your process, and then when you kind of know like a project's kind of over, you know, and you're done with it. Um, the process to me, typically, I, an idea will will come to me. Um, I do a lot of driving, and I also do a lot of cycling. And those are two times when I have a, a little bit of like time for clear thought. There's no one next to me. There's no one bothering me. It's quiet. I can turn my phone off and I can think. So a lot of liter I read a lot of literature and I listen to music. And a lot of my ideas come from those two things. Um, I realized that my New Mexico project, which I had worked on for a year before I, I sort of made this realization, uh, came from... The idea behind it came from a book that I reread every single year, which is a book called Blood Meridian uh, by a guy named Cormac McCarthy, who oddly enough, I've heard lives in Santa Fe or at least spends part of his time in Santa Fe. I've never met him. I would love, love to meet him at some point. Um, but I found Blood Meridian years ago and I read it and it immediately went to like top three books I've ever read. And I reread the book every year. And so this project, I started living in New Mexico and realizing how different that culture was and how interested I was in it. So I began going out. I spent about a year so far putting this thing together. And um, it just dawned on me one day as I was taking some notes that I'm like, oh, my God, I know where this came from. It came from that book and, the, and sort of the underlying theme in that book, which I think is very much alive today, even though the book was based, I believe, in the late 1800s. Um, so the ideas come that way, and the process is I'm not in any hurry. Um, what has flipped dramatically from the time that I got out of school was when I got out of photojournalism school, my goal in life was to get better as a photographer, my, to make my pictures actually better than they were before. And that is what I primarily worked on, was shooting and learning from that. What's changed today is that it seems to me that photographers are spending 80 to 90% of their time marketing and advertising. So they're spending less time actually creating the work, but there's far more of an effort to find a home for it. So they're looking for publishers and galleries and editorial outlets using social media like mad and they're marketing and advertising. I don't necessarily have to do that and I'm not really that interested in doing that. I wanna go and make those pictures and I'm very greedy in this regard. I do this kind of work for that experience of being in the field and making those photos. That is the ultimate thing for me. When I hit that part of the project, I'm sort of peaked. You know, what happens afterwards in terms of like getting it published or selling prints or getting a gallery show? I'm not really that interested in that. Um, I might be at some point, but right now it is, it's about making those pictures and that experience. I do make a lot of small prints. I make a lot of big prints. I make books. I keep journals. I'm constantly taking notes. And now I've begun doing audio recordings of both myself and also of what's happening in the field. I have no idea what I'm going to do with those or how I'm going to incorporate it. I'm not technically proficient enough to even know what I'm doing. All I know is I'm recording. When you're doing a project, do you think kind of like in, in book form, like that's the final thing for you? Yes. It's not necessarily like... You know, you see it as an exhibit or whatever, but it's like a physical book. That's what you're envisioning the whole time. Typically, a book is how I think. Um, and after, you know, working with Blurb for many years now and making 120 plus books, it's become a natural part. Um, and I started to think about my commercial work in book form as well. So even from a single shoot, 
when I would do these portrait shoots, I would be thinking cover, back cover, first page, what spreads. It just became a natural part of how I was thinking. That's also directly a result of going to photojournalism school. So, you know, I studied for journalism and sequencing and editing and telling stories for five years straight. That's all I did. So that, you know, there's a residue there that I don't think I'll ever be able to shake. Um, I would love to be able to go out again and shoot in just single image concept, but I don't think my brain works that way. I'm always thinking, and I think it's more book is in regard to the depth. You know, I understand what it takes to actually get a book length amount of work, which is a long haul, man. You know, there's way, there are ways around that, modern ways of, you know, shooting portraits or whatever, where you can create a body of work very quickly, but that's not really my cup of tea. I'd love to get in a little bit about um, kind of how where our culture is at and how that's maybe affecting the work. I know me and you yeah. had a couple conversations casually about that, but just to dig in a little deeper, um, you know, one of the things, even to referencing kind of the book idea is <clears throat> how do you think something – Shooting a project with the idea of like a physical, whether print or book, is kind of the end goal. Do you feel like that affects like how you work versus uh, just being content with it being like a digital file online somewhere or just on your website? No, I think when you go to when you transfer from the digital world to the physical world, whether it's a print or a book, I think it only can help because it forces you to put you know, critical thought towards the work. You're not going to print crappy pictures or something that you don't want to pay for. It makes you actually, it's just another line of like, to me, another line of thought in regards to how serious are you about this project? I can't imagine doing a project and not printing it. I just think the benefits of doing that are so beyond not doing it that I would never even consider that. Although I'm sure today there's a lot of people that are working in that way and it could work for them. Uh, again, I, I started shooting seriously in the late 80s. So the idea of printing has always been a big part of it. And for many years, you know, it was darkroom printing, which I'm actually gone back to now. And that just complicates it even further. You know, the darkroom is slow. It's a little bit toxic. It's aggravating. It's unbelievably time consuming. It's, there's so many reasons not to do it. But at the same time, man, does it make you think. I've literally sat in the darkroom with a negative by myself getting ready to put it in the enlarger and having that conversation of, is this worth printing? Is this a part of, is this going to make it? Is it good enough to be here in the overall thing? And I've sat and sat and sat and not been able to figure that out. That's really the only idea here behind that. Um, I think sometimes when you think about getting a show or getting a book or body of work published while you're doing the project, that can definitely influence you. I think it can influence you in a beneficial way, and it can also do a complete mind number on you. You know, I think I see photographers, and anybody can see photographers, that chase the market. You know, you look at what's being, what's hot in the gallery world, what's hanging, what's selling, and photographers are like, I'm going to go do something that looks like that. I get that. You know, if you want to succeed in that world, then potentially that's a way in. Um, and that can affect what you're doing in the field. You know, for me, I know right now that if I was going to try to do a gallery show with my New Mexico work, that it's it would be easier for me to get a gallery show with color portraits than it would be with black and white reportage. I, I guarantee it because color portrait series is what's considered modern documentary work. When I go to Paris Photo or I go to Photo Plus or I go to any of these shows where there's a lot of work being shown, there's a lot more color portraiture than there is black and white documentary. Yeah, one of the things I want to talk to you also about is a little kind of getting into the craving. I feel like that you're having. It seems like it's amped up more. I mean, obviously you've always had it, but just kind of the craving for the physical, um, almost a little n nostalgic about kind of the past for you. And kind of, um, I know you've had some comments about maybe social media and just we're just too busy as a generation or culture right now to kind of kick out work that could be as good as what it could be if we devoted more time to it. So I just wonder if you could talk about that a little more and just kind of what you're feeling. Well, it's funny because, you know, when I went back to film and I started sort of questioning, this was years ago, 
And I started kind of looking around at what the digital revolution had done to the industry and also what it had kind of done to our, our lives. You know, I mean, in 1996, I had no cell phone and no computer. My life was great. My wife and I would get up in the morning and we actually had breakfast together, talk to one another. I picked up the phone when I did business and called New York or wherever, and people picked up the phone and I had relationships with people and dialogue and it's gone. I mean, my wife and I get up and she goes to her computer and I go to mine. And the, the professional photography industry is not healthy by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, the relationships with people is via email, electronics. You know, I know people that sit 20 feet away that email each other all day long. So, you know, that's a different kind of scenario that we're living under today. Um, the nostalgia for me is um, I do like physical objects. Um, at the same time, I've been sort of branded as this anti-technology guy, which is actually pretty far from the truth. I, I love a lot of the technology. I mean, I shot a digital camera yesterday to, to work on my blog post. I don't necessarily want believe that the technology is going to make me a better photographer. I, I think that's based on advertising from companies that are trying to sell equipment. And I think a lot of the amateur market believes that, that they need this stuff to become great. There was a photographer over last night, night for dinner and, you know, he was saying that he he was describing to me all the equipment that he has. And he was just starting to figure out the fact that that he wasn't saving any money using this technology that he said, I'm having to upgrade my equipment every two years, plus all my computers and software and hardware. And then the archiving effort of migrating all my digital files over every two to five years. And he said, you know, I've got a, a Hasselblad that I bought 15 years ago that I'm still using. And he's like, I can get scans done for X amount. He's like, I'm not saving money. I'm actually losing money. So I'm not someone who can ignore that. But the bottom line with all of that technology is that I just don't love it as much as I love working this other way. You know, I don't want to see my images when I'm shooting. I don't want the ability to shoot endless photographs. I don't want to have to sit down at a computer when I'm done. And I don't want to archive electronic files because I don't know how to do it. And I haven't found anyone yet that knows how to do it. I have no idea what that noise is. It sounds like a UFO landing in my front yard. In fact, uh, there, must be, a new, so there must be a new tool in his arsenal. Maybe he's got the digital blower outside and he's um, trying to blow off the front of the house. I have no idea. <laughs> so he's throwing rocks at your house. I love it. But you know what? There might be. It might be, a, you know, the technology people throwing rocks at my house. But maybe outside. I would rather have them in. Or coffee or something. So, you know, it's weird. My wife said something to me the other day. She's like, you know, God, for somebody that is so-called anti-technology, you sure love X, Y, and Z. And I said, I do. You know, the first time I ever wrote a post about questioning this technology, I can't remember when it was. It was several years ago. I just got, I mean, slain by people from all over the world. And unbeknownst to me, that post had been copied and pasted into blogs and sites all over the world. And I wasn't even paying attention at that time. So a couple of years ago, I went back for some reason and I was searching online and I found all these sites that were talking about that post. And you can't believe that what people were saying. I mean, Luddite, anti-technology, going backwards, not smart enough to figure out what the technology is, doesn't know how to use it. It was just incredible just by saying, you know, hey, I'm not sure this is 100% the direction I'm going. When I talked about digital point-and-shoot cameras not being worth buying, again, I got slammed. And when the iPad came out and I said, you know, this is not going to make you a better photographer, people went berserk on that. And I think it's because, you know, globally we're intoxicated with technology. There's no denying it. Look at what we're doing right now. I have, you know, iPhone, iPad, laptop, tower, and iMac in the other room. It's like I'm I'm in bed with the technology as well, but it's not what drives me to, to go out and make pictures. I would think it's kind of along the lines of, you know, the technology is not necessarily bad, but it's just kind of the abuse of it, you know? Uh, even with social media and how it kind of connects everybody, there's some positives to that. Sure. Um, but kind of the abuse of it. Um, can really hinder people and hinder photographers in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, is that kind of where you're 
stance is, I guess? Well, I, you know, I think it depends on how disciplined you are. I think for cer- certain people, like let's say that you're taking somebody who's learning photography. I think that there's a real benefit in learning photography with film because I've just seen in workshop students things that I don't think the technology helps with. And I think a lot of times that, you know, the way that I was sort of sold on the technology was, you know, ability to shoot as much as you want. You can immediately preview and see the mistakes you made and then improve on those in theory. Absolutely. Um, in practice in the field, I don't see that happening. I see people shooting 10 times more pictures than they need to. And instead of shooting a single bad image, they'll shoot 30 from the same location and then chimp the whole time afterwards. I don't think that's a great way to learn. Um, there are other people who are very disciplined who do use it very well to, to improve. But, um, you know, for me, it's, uh, I, I don't want to, that stuff that, you know, the technology is sold on doesn't really work for me. I don't, like I said, don't want to see it. Don't want to overshoot. Um, and I also don't want to upgrade my equipment every couple of years. I just don't, I don't like any equipment enough to upgrade. I think the only cameras that are good are the ones that you don't have to think about that, you know, them so well that it just becomes lost in the wind, you know, when you're out, we're out shooting. And that's, that's what I have now. I mean, I've been using the, the range finders for, let me think, probably from 96 or 97. No, actually before that, I've been using range finders since 92. So it's been a long time and I don't have to think about them. You know, there's no thought given towards the equipment. I go out with the same thing every single time. It's funny because I'll, I, when I teach workshops, I'll show work. And um, a lot of times I'll show every morning, I'll show a complete take from a certain shoot, every single frame. And so the last time I did that, I showed a shoot that I did with the Hasselblad. And I have a single Hasselblad in 80 millimeter. First image goes up and someone goes, hey, what'd you shoot that with? And I go, look, this whole thing, this entire shoot, Hasselblad 80 millimeter. Ten frames later, someone goes, hey, what'd you shoot that with? I'm like, all right, let me say this one more time. It's the same camera lens. It's going to be the same for every day this week. I'm, that's all I'm going to show you. And so, because people are so hooked up and gear is very sexy, you know, there's no doubt about it, whether I, I love bicycles and it's the same thing with bicycles, you know, it's, um, I ride, I have a bike that I love, but every day when I'm out riding, I see another bike that I love too, that's someone else's. And I think, man, I'd love to have that too as well. And photography equipment is the same. And my wife works for Canon. So I hear it, uh, from all directions every day. I know you don't want to probably talk too much about your workshops, but I wanted to know a little bit more just because I'm interested, and I think it's one of the one of the few workshops out there that I would personally consider attending eventually. I guess tell me because I know maybe just even like your Peru and like what is maybe different of what you what you're doing with the workshops mm-hmm. than maybe some of the other ones that because everybody has one now. So, well, I think I've got a couple few coming up. I've got a a short two-day workshop in um, at Lou's Gallery in uh, Victoria Island, British Columbia, that's coming up in uh, November. And I've got Peru in December, and I've got Argentina, Uruguay in February of next year. The first thing about my workshops is there's nothing about business. Um, I'm not talking about marketing or branding or advertising or blogging or websites or anything like that. My, my workshops are about a couple of very basic things. They're about images. They're about connecting with whatever location you're in. And they're basically about putting thought towards living a creative life. That's it. Whether you're a writer or a photographer or you're interested in food and wine, it doesn't matter. I think all of those things are interconnected. And um, my primary concern is not to tell you how to be a photographer. It's not about trying to tell you how to get work or be successful as a photographer. It's simply about getting you outside your comfort zone in terms of the images And trying to go back to what I said earlier is trying to figure out who you are with a camera. So if there's 10 of us that go to, you know, Argentina to go to workshop and we all shoot the same event, we're going to come up with different images. You know, my goal is is not for you to make images that look like mine. My goal is for you to strip away those layers of your own work and finally realize, or if you've already realized it, to fine tune what it is you're trying to do. The Peru workshop is a little bit different. Well, let me go back. The, the Victoria workshop, which is the first one coming up in November, that's, a, that's about shooting documentary portraits. And if I had to say that there's one thing or one request that I get more than anything in workshops is, you know, I want to be a documentary photographer, but how do you go up to people that you don't know and make pictures? So I do that all the time. 
And I do it in situations where it's really easy and I do it in situations where it's not easy and the people don't want me there and it takes a long time to get through. And that's what the two-day workshop is about. Basically, the philosophy behind doing that and then how to do it. The Peru workshop is a little different from what we did last year because this year it's more about that creative life idea. It's about really good food. It's about travel. It's about connecting with the location. And it's about making pictures. So imagine if you're a traveler and you are more than a hobbyist when it comes to photography, but you don't want to sit in front of a laptop all day when you're traveling. How do you merge those worlds? And Adam Weintraub, who's the director down there, has been in Peru for, I think, 12 or 13 years now. And from what I learned last year, he's unbelievably well connected. So when I came to Adam and we decided to change up the workshop, he gave me an itinerary and I said, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So we're going to travel to more places. We're going to have a little bit more of the culture of Peru as part of the workshop. And we're going to probably spend less computer time and we're going to spend more time in the field, which to me is the best. And the last workshop is um, with Latitude 34, which is based in Montevideo, Uruguay. And it's a workshop that starts in Argentina and ends in, or actually it starts in Uruguayans in Argentina. And it's basically about creating a body of work with the idea of making a book. So it's basically three workshops in one. It's, it's out photographing and then it's editing and sequencing and then it's actually producing a book. And that is to me, it's basically in essence how I work when I go out to do my own projects is that's, I work in basically three, three sections, create it, edit and sequence or live with the work. And then three, mock the book up. And uh, that's run by a photographer that I met in Los Angeles many years ago who's from Uruguay, and um, he's also very well connected. And so that is during a time of year where both in Argentina and Uruguay there are multiple events happening. So there's going to be what I would call a target-rich opportunities. And again, to me, when you attend a workshop, there is a, a, a little bit of a burden on you as a student to come with an ideal in terms of what's your goal? You know, what do you want out of this? When I took workshops in the past, I had, I didn't sit and say, tell me how to be a photographer. I said, you know, this is what I do. Help me refine what I'm doing or look at what I'm doing in a different way. And that's what I feel my job is as the instructor. Um, <clears throat> two more things before I let you go, I guess. Um, what's my favorite color? Maybe three things. Right here. There's the, the secret is out of the bag. Sea green? What is that? It's more of like, it's just green. Okay. I'm just going to get another green going here, yeah. but this is more olive drab. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of with the, kind of merging the conversation between what we had about weddings earlier or wedding photographers mm -hmm. and your workshop. Um, whether they like attend your workshop or even like a different workshop, I mean, how important do you think it is it for wedding photographers that, you know, have a culture of kind of homogenization to go to a workshop that's like completely out of their comfort zone that has nothing to do with weddings. It's a completely different subject matter and how will that kind of benefit them and grow them as a photographer? Well, I can tell you how I think it would benefit them, but I don't think it's necessary at all. I think you can absolutely in fact, I don't think I know that you can absolutely make a killing in weddings by shooting the most homogenous work on the planet. I think all you have to do is take a look around and see, you know, 80% of the public is going to eat that up. Um, the problem is if you want that other 20%, that other 20% looks at the homogenization and says, it's not what I'm looking for. But you can easily operate in that 80% shoot generic work and you'll be absolutely fine. So there is no reason why they would ever have to take a workshop like that. But the benefit of taking a workshop like that is that potentially like taking any workshop, it could expand your mind in regards to what you're doing. You know, you might discover something about yourself or your work that you didn't know. And it might in turn lead you to say, you know what, I'm going to try something different. You know, maybe I'm, I'm okay with doing the, you know, standard work, but I think maybe I want to be someone else. And that's what a workshop can do. Um, I'm a huge fan of taking workshops that are completely outside the bounds of what you think the workshop is that you're supposed to take. You know, I, I love that. I think taking a creative writing workshop or taking a, you know, ceramics workshop and in, in some ways can be as, as beneficial or more than taking a straight photography workshop. Um, what I said earlier about 
when I stopped shooting, made the decision to, you know, go a different route from commercial photography, one of the things that it allowed me to do was take a step back and realize that in the grand scheme of the creative world, photography is a very small part. And so there's a lot of interesting, talented people in other genres of the creative world that are doing work that I find far more interesting, actually, than some of the photography work that I was following. So to me, I feel like I'm, you know, my learning curve, I'm still at the bottom. I feel like I've got a mountain of stuff to to explore that I think ultimately will make me a better photographer because I'll be more well-rounded. Last thing I wanted to talk about um, is really just maybe something that you're kind of hopeful for as we move forward. I know there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom in the industry, but I wanted to get kind of your a positive take on what you're seeing in the industry uh, or just in our culture in general that is kind of Well, exciting. yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom now. I think there's a lot of fact-based things that, that would support that doom and gloom depending on what you're trying to do. Um, however, I still think it's a very interesting time in photography. And I think that there's still a lot of great work being done. You might not necessarily see that work because I'm not sure there's many outlets out there that are ready and willing to publish that kind of stuff. But I think that I know that there's great work being done. I still see it all the time. Uh, I think people's philosophies about photography have changed a lot. I think the philosophy of the general public in terms of what an image represents has fundamentally changed. I think images now are considered temporary, they're considered disposable, and they're considered free. And those are three monumental hurdles that I'm not sure how the professional world will get over. At the same time, I think it's actually very cool that everyday people can somehow enter the industry and make a living. And I know that there's, you know, pros may not agree with that statement, but I think, you know, it is very, it's nice to see. I mean, when Kodak came out with the Brownie camera, it fired up the public in a way that we had never seen before in terms of photography. And before digital came along, the professional photography world was pretty stagnant. You know, it was not exactly, it was a mature market. It was getting smaller. And digital came along and it absolutely was like plugging in a, you know, uh, a volcano to the to the underside of the industry. It absolutely sparked the second you know wave of uh, photography that we haven't seen since the brownie camera. Um, we're starting to kind of see the tail end of that, I think now. But uh, you know, I, I can't predict what the future is. I think when I got into photography, you could see the roadmap. You know, you could see five years down the road and ten years down the road. Now, I don't think people can see six months down the road. There's so much change going to happen. And I think this is actually a great thing. I think all of the traditional models of photography that we knew are all going to go away or they're going to change significantly. And some people think that is doom and gloom. I don't necessarily see it that way. I think it's in some ways really empowering because right now you and I as individuals have the technology and the means to be our own TV channel, our own magazine, our own book publisher, our own editor, and our own content creation service. And so if we have a following of people around the world that believe in what we're doing, we have everything we need. So the key, the absolute one lacking question that no one seems to be able to answer that I would love to hear an answer to is how you monetize all that. So if I'm my own channel and my own publisher and my own magazine and my own content creator and I, and I do good work and I have a faithful following, how do I monetize? And that's really moving forward and looking at the future of photography. I think that's really the primary question. Um, I think people are as ingenious and talented today as they've ever been, probably more so. So I, I'm a firm believer that there is will continually be uh, more and more great work being made. We just have to figure out ways of that sustaining the artist and getting it seen. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, thank you for... Taking the time talking to me. Of course.